0: Chapter 2 of The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Mrs. Henry de la Pasteur. Chapter 2. The Pedigree. Miss Marnie's aquiline nose and blue eyes were visible over the edge of the sheet as Jean entered the bedroom. A nightcap was tied with pink ribbons under her ample chin and a hand with a white kid glove on it caressed her little growling Yorkshire terrier which was curled upon the quilt. All her life Miss Caroline had prided herself upon the beauty of her hands and they were exquisite yet though seldom visible for she was busy preserving them still would you like the candles ma'am or the light turned on said dunham advancing to the bed no there is a good fire the room is light enough one can talk better by firelight said miss marnie in a tone so brisk that it made jean jump she had expected to find her aunt in a semi moribund condition and was no less astonished than relieved to find her in such cheerful wise and so well able to speak naturally and give orders as usual she decided that Dunham must have taken an unnecessarily gloomy view of the situation. "'Don't fidget about, Dunham,' said the invalid imperiously, "'but go out of the room and shut the door after you. "'I want to make acquaintance with my grandniece.' "'You won't tire yourself, ma'am?' "'When I feel tired, Miss Jane will ring.' Dunham turned a warning face towards Jean before leaving the room, and Jean nodded acquiescence and encouragement the door was shut and she found herself alone with her great-aunt i like to see your fresh face my love said miss caroline graciously you have the marny complexion when i was young the reddest rose could not vie with my colour there is no such thing as a complexion nowadays young women are all pasty-faced jeanne's confidence was restored by this complimentary address though she was alarmed by the butler and footman "'and even rather fearful of Dunham and Mrs. Pike, "'she became at once easy and natural "'in the presence of her august relative, "'for like many ultra-sensitive persons "'she alternated between the extremes of courage and timidity. "'You are neither thin nor sallow,' said Miss Mamey. "'No one, in fact, could believe you had a drop of French blood in your veins, "'and yet, undeniably, there it is.' "'Her voice was surprised and rather triumphant.' "'as though she were under the impression "'that French blood must be yellow rather than red "'and of a necessarily inferior quality. "'You are not in the least like your father.' "'But it is a great disappointment to Louis and me,' "'said Jean, unconscious of her aunt's prejudices, "'that we are not like our French ancestors. "'We sigh over it every time we look at the miniatures "'which belong to poor papa. "'Have you those miniatures still?' ''Why, they are our greatest treasures,'' said Jean, surprised in her turn. ''Louis said I must never let them out of my sight, so I brought them to London with me. ''We are very, very proud to belong to them, but we know we are not like them. ''However, I mind less now that I know who Louis is like. ''Does your twin brother not resemble you?'' ''Not a bit,'' said Jean, and she winked away a tear at the mere mention of her brother.'' "'after the weeks of silence she had unwillingly endured. "'It is the portrait over the mantelpiece in the morning room "'that Louis is like. "'He is so like that it might just as well be his portrait.' "'Like the Romney picture of my father,' said Miss Marnie rather sharply. "'She drew herself up eagerly on her pillows, "'and the gloved hand that settled the pink bow of her nightcap "'trembled nervously. "'How very extraordinary! "'Your father was not like our family.' "'and your mother was a farmer's daughter with, "'as I have always heard, no great pretensions to looks.' "'Just a little round thing like me,' said Jean, humbly enough. "'Yet their son resembles his great-grandfather. "'I find it difficult to believe that the likeness "'can be anything very striking, my love. "'I should like to judge for myself.' "'He will be coming home very soon, I hope,' said Jean. "'Miss Marnie moved uneasily.' And the thought crossed Jean's mind that perhaps even that very soon might be too late for her aunt. "'Perhaps you have a photograph,' said Miss Marnie. "'Of course. How stupid of me. "'It was taken five years ago, so he may be changed, but he was twenty. "'And I suppose the young man in the picture—' "'I beg your pardon,' said Jean, confused. "'I mean my great-grandfather must have been the same age when that was painted.' she unfastened the bodice of her plain serge frock and took a common silver locket from its little white nest next her heart. This she produced very simply and handed to her aunt. Miss Marnie groped for her spectacle case beneath the pillow and adjusted the glasses on the high bridge of her hawk nose. Then she pressed an electric button in a knob beside her and by the light of a tiny glass globe above the bed stared for some moments at the photograph. An ever-increasing interest and pleasure were expressed upon her good-looking old face. My dear, you are quite right. He is remarkably like, remarkably like. What an instance of the freaks of heredity, the son of Louis de Corset, whose foreign appearance we deplored, and of a farmer's daughter with no appearance at all, and he grows up the living image of my beloved father who was one of the finest looking men of his day pray how tall is he six foot two in his stockings said jean proudly he is very strong and athletic aunt caroline and has won silver cups i have them at home for running and jumping and think how well he has done for himself in the army poor boy with no interest and only his own brains to help him along "'Looks are of quite as much assistance as brains, my dear Jane,' said Miss Marnie, "'and he owes his looks to us.' "'She seemed soothed and gratified by this reflection. "'Your brother is very handsome, my love. "'He is a true Marnie. "'I should like to keep this photograph.' Jean's brown eyes grew round with dismay. "'I could not sleep without the locket in my hand,' she faltered. "'It was his parting present, Aunt Caroline.' Then, she was shocked at her own selfishness. Who was she to be refusing what might prove to be, perhaps, the last request of her dying relative? Though the pink bows on the nightcap and the liveliness of Miss Caroline's blue eyes looked very little like dying to Jean. Keep it as long as you like, she gasped, and closed the gloved fingers gently over her treasure. If it is any comfort to you to have it, if it reminds you of your father, "'I could not grudge it to you. "'After all,' she choked back a sob, "'I do not need anything to remind me of Louis, really. "'He is here, in my heart.' "'She clasped her little hands tragically upon her round young breast. "'I think of him always, day and night.' "'You shall have it back soon,' said Miss Marnie. "'The simplicity of her niece pleased her. "'She was impulsive herself and generous.' "'though many years of complete independence and great wealth "'had caused her to become likewise capricious and self-indulgent. "'I see you mean to be kind to me,' she said, with amused graciousness, "'and I mean to be kind to you. "'Now tell me, what do you think of the house?' "'I think it is very beautiful inside and filled with beautiful things,' "'said Jean sincerely. "'You have not, of course, seen the saloons?' I keep them covered up. The tapestry chairs there were all worked in the 18th century and are very exquisite. I keep the pictures covered up too. I believe they would suffer from the London blacks, to which I cannot accustom myself even after 20 years' experience. And I will not risk the family collection. Some day I will show it to you. I have added to it myself as regularly as I was able. I should like to see it, said Jean, but I had the morning room made ready for you to sit in. I am very partial to that room. It is done up according to modern taste, for though I am so old, I pride myself upon not falling behind the times, said Miss Marnie, bridling. I sit there always, and I hope you like it, my love. I like it very much indeed, said Jean, and she sighed unconsciously. "'Are you always alone, Aunt Caroline?' "'I am almost entirely alone, my love. "'I do not care to make new friends, "'and I have outlived most of my old ones. "'Those who survive are down in the West Country, "'and correspondence is not my forte. "'I drive out a good deal. "'I hope you order the carriage when you require it.' "'Thank you very much, stammered Jean, "'but I, I, quite so, my love.' The fogs have been rather bad, I understand, but you will feel inclined to go and see your friends as the weather improves. I know only one person. I scarcely know if she is a friend still, in London, said scrupulous Jean. You are young, my love, and will find more friends, and later on you will have plenty of visits to make, I have no doubt. But you are quite right to be exclusive, said her aunt. I do not care to be hail fellow well met myself with everybody I see. We must try and amuse each other, for the hours seem very long to me lying here. And they seem very long to me downstairs, sighed Jean, for I do not like to talk to the servants, even if they seemed inclined, which they don't. I should think not, my love. It would not do at all. Never encourage familiarity. But have you nothing to do? "'You should never sit idle. "'It is a bad habit for a young person.' "'Have you not even brought your tatting?' "'said Miss Marnie solicitously.' "'Jean knew not what tatting might be, "'but she shook her head, "'for whatever it was, "'she had certainly not brought it. "'I brought nothing but absolute necessaries. "'I did not how long I was to stay. "'Uncle Roberts said I was to go at once "'when your telegram came.' "'so I started as soon as the cart could be got ready "'and brought as few things as possible. "'Just a small box and my desk in my hand.' "'You must be sadly uncomfortable, my love,' said Miss Caroline sympathetically. "'Still it will give you some shopping to do. "'Pray hand me the bag on my quilt.' "'Jean attempted to do so, but the little terrier growled ominously.' "'Sensible dog,' said Miss Marney, in approving tones. "'You see how he guards my property?' But she quieted her pet, and the bag was extricated. Miss Caroline opened it without removing the white kid glove and took out a bundle of crackling banknotes. Selecting a couple, she handed them to Jean. "'You must get yourself any trifle you require, my dear Jane.' "'No thanks, I beg. Put them in the pocket of your gown.' and pray, write, and desire that your wardrobe may be sent. I am in hopes of persuading you to stay on. Jeanne's heart sank, but she tried to conceal her dismay as well as she could, and faltered forth her thanks for her relative's proposed hospitality. I am desirous to know, said Miss Marney, settling herself among her pillows and half closing her eyes, how far you are aware of your near connection with our family, I am too weak to be able to talk much myself, but I can give you my attention very well. Her accents were regretful, and Jean divined that Miss Caroline was more accustomed to hold forth herself than to listen to others. Speak clearly, my love. People nowadays mumble so dreadfully. Without suspecting her aunt of deafness, Jean obediently raised her voice. I know more about our own family than about yours. "'but Uncle Roberts has told me what he has heard of both. "'Then there are the labels on the miniatures "'and an odd volume of a kind of old French history "'of the ancienne noblesse containing an account of the de Corses. "'It brings down the pedigree as far as my great-grandfather.' "'Ah,' said Miss Marney dryly. "'There were two brothers and a sister, "'Pierre, Charles, and Anne-Marie.' Our great-grandfather was Pierre, the Marquis de Corset. He was page to Madame Royale, the daughter of Louis Sixteenth and Marie-Antoinette. He escaped with his young wife during the Revolution in 1793 and came to England and gave drawing lessons in Bath to support them both. But he had been an officer in the French cavalry and couldn't be happy without soldiering. So he left his wife and their little son, Henri, and joined the campaign of the French princes in Germany, and was killed. But he desired that his son should be brought up as an Englishman. Quite right. I know all this, and as you may suppose, it is not very interesting to me. But it must be got through before we come to our family, said Miss Marney, tossing her head among the pillows. Would you rather I stopped, Jean said, somewhat discouraged by this reception of her enthusiastic recital of a history which was to her the most interesting and romantic in the world. No, my love, I am equally struck with the retentiveness of your memory and your respect for the past. Pray continue. The brother of the Marquis, my great granduncle Charles, was in the French Navy, said Jean, and served on board the Calypso at Martinique a battleship which remained faithful to the royal cause throughout the revolution. Louis the Eighteenth made him a Chevalier of Saint Louis and of the Legion of Honor, and that is all the book says about him. I don't know if he married and had children. Anyway, he did not emigrate. He stayed in France. I never heard of him, but a Frenchman is a Frenchman, said Miss Marnie, sternly and incontrovertibly. "'The little sister, the Comtesse Anne-Marie,' said Jean, yet more disconcerted, "'was a chanonesse, but we do not know exactly what that means. "'She is the one we like best. "'She was the first noble lady to be arrested in the Revolution, "'and she was imprisoned in the citadel of Calais during the terror and died there. "'She looks so gay and beautiful and disdainful and has a mouth like a cupid's bow.' "'Ladies in miniatures "'always have that kind of mouth, my love,' "'said Miss Marney. "'Her fate was very shocking. "'But we will return to the little son, Henry. "'He was left in Bath "'under the care of his widowed mother, "'who, most fortunately for herself, "'eventually married an English gentleman.' "'But he wasn't very faithful of her,' "'said Jean indignantly. "'Possibly not, my love. "'Foreigners more apt, I believe, "'to be frivolous than faithful. "'Still, "'She married an English esquire of fortune and repute "'who was a true father to Henry "'and sent him to Eton "'and put him into a cavalry regiment. "'He grew up quite English, "'though he was called the Count de Corsay.' "'Yes,' said Jean, "'trying to keep the sound of regret out of her voice. "'He was a colonel in the Twenty-Ninth Hussars "'when we made his acquaintance,' said Miss Marney, "'who now took up the recital with much energy "'in spite of her weakness.' "'he became a lieutenant-general "'and married my dear sister Jane, "'who died in childbirth in 1851. "'Poor Henry fell before Sebastopol in 55, "'and my brother and I adopted their little Louis.' "'That was my father,' said Jean. "'I can hardly expect you to realise, my love, "'in the light of after events, "'how devotedly attached we were to the orphan son "'of our gentle, beloved Jane.' But Louis was not, unhappily, a true Marny. His foreign blood was a distress to us both, and his disposition, alas, though attractive to some people, too clearly denoted his French origin. His character was not congenial to my dear brother, a very grave and serious man. Louis had a happy nature, light-hearted, facile, and, but in short, the exact opposite of your poor uncle. "'Louis Le Debonnaire,' I used to call him, fondly and playfully,' she sighed. "'I overindulged him, my love, for it seemed to me as though Providence had bestowed him upon us. "'My dear brother designed him for his heir, being himself a great invalid and unlikely to marry. "'We planned that Louis should assume his mother's name and become one day Marny of Orsett. "'And you cast him off because he married my mother,' said Jean.' "'holding her head very high, in spite of her timidity. "'My dear Jane, I cannot discuss your father's conduct with you,' "'said Miss Marnie, with great dignity. "'It would be neither charitable nor seemly. "'When I tell you that all our hopes were centred in him, "'you must imagine for yourself, as well as you can, "'that we did not lightly decide to abandon them ever. "'It pleased God,' Miss Caroline's voice shook, "'but her sunken blue eyes gleamed brightly, "'that he should atone by a gallant death "'for many errors of youth. "'They have all died like that, the de Corses. "'It is the family tradition,' said Jean, "'with a throb of pride, "'but, oh, how frightened that made me "'for Louis all through the Boer War, "'and he was never even wounded after all. "'It also pleased God,' said Miss Marnie, "'that the last of the Marnies of Orsett should be "'just an old brother and sister living together and alone, "'pursued by misfortune, as you must know.' "'Jean had heard of the great fire which had destroyed Orsett Hall, "'and she nodded sympathetically. "'I know you lost your home,' she said softly. "'And my brother,' said Miss Marney. "'he was not an old man, but he never recovered the shock. "'He would not face the rebuilding of Orsett, so we came to London. "'I had always desired to live in London.' thus sorrowfully was my wish attained too late to give me any pleasure we bought this house from a distant cousin the Duke of Monaghan and here we settled with the salvage of our home and here my brother died she wiped away a tear but it seemed rather an involuntary tribute to her brother's memory than the outcome of any agitation for her voice was quite calm fortunately we had saved most of the family treasures The pictures which are very valuable the library the plate and some of the furniture my love i hope these things will always be cared for as i have cared for them i have guarded them as the apple of my eye said miss Marney very earnestly during the last twenty years the care of them has been my only solace i've had the pictures cleaned and restored by degrees under my own supervision and a catalogue raisonné made of the books they have supplied the place of friends and acquaintances being so very full of memories and associations for me i was too old when i came here my love to begin a fresh life but you are young you will call upon people later on and they will be glad to see you there was a pause you are wondering said miss marnie shrewdly why when your father was killed in afghanistan we did not send for you and your twin brother twenty years ago "'I've been wondering ever since I came here,' said Jean frankly. "'My brother had the strongest possible feelings "'against such mess as the one your father chose to contract. "'It was utterly repugnant to him. "'His indulgence was already exhausted by your poor father's extravagance "'and, and other matters into which I cannot enter with you. "'And he warned Louis that if he married this young woman, "'he would henceforth be a stranger to him "'and to his children after him. "'He kept his word, as Armani naturally would,' "'said Miss Caroline, with excessive haughtiness. "'He never, in fact, wavered for a moment. "'He told me he hoped I should never waver, "'but he extracted no promise.' "'She hesitated. "'Your brother is very dear to you, Jean?' "'He is everything in the world to me,' said Jean.' her brown eyes glistened in the firelight, which now illumined the room somewhat less brightly. Then you will understand that his wishes were the more sacred when he was no longer with me. Then why? I am coming to that. The actions of human beings, said Miss Marnie solemnly, are not always guided by principle. More often, perhaps, especially in our family, by impulse, prejudice or sentiment." "'Let me get my dear dog safe and snug, "'or he is such an intelligent animal "'that he will assuredly bite you. "'Now you may look in the pocket of my bag. "'Don't fumble anything else, "'and you will find a little letter in a fancy envelope. "'It was written to me when your father was at a preparatory school, "'the first time he ever left home.' "'The firelight flickered over the mahogany furniture. "'On the polished glass top of the dressing table,' laden with crystal and gold, on the medicine bottles by the bedside and on the little brown head of Jean, stooping by the brass fender over the dim writing on the small yellow sheet. Miss Caroline Marnie lay still among the pillows of her four-poster bed, apparently considering the ornamentation of the ceiling as she caressed mechanically her sleeping lapdog, twining the gloved taper fingers among its silvery-gray curls. She had come very nearly to the end of her life's journey, and doubtless her thoughts travelled a long way back on the road, bridging space and lingering among those flowery tracks of youth which seem always so fair to the onlooker, with a beauty which the little pilgrim straying therein seldom recognises until he has left them far behind. Jean read the letter. Slough, Windsor, January, 1858 "'My dear auntie, I am writing as you bid me, "'but it is very difficult to writ here. "'I hope soon it will be time for me to leave here and go to Eton. "'I am not at all homesick as you feared I would be. "'I hope it will soon be the holidays. "'I wish I had been a better boy to Uncle Philip, "'and then I need not have come to school yet. "'There is one boy here younger than me, "'so I am not the youngest. "'I send everybody at Orset, my love, And please, please tell Uncle Philip I feel very sorry indeed now to have been so bad. I dare say I shall bring home some prizes. It is not three months to the holidays. Please feed my guinea pigs. My dearest darling auntie, you need not be afraid I will forget you at school. Remember that wherever I am I will always love you even when you are quite old. Your aff and dutiful nephew, Louis de Corset. "'I thought I had destroyed all his letters,' said Miss Caroline's voice from the bed. "'But I found that one the other day, just before my illness, "'when I was turning out an old desk. "'If you ask me, Jane, why, after all, I sent for you, "'that is the only reason I can give you. "'You are not afraid?' Jean's voice faltered, and she looked rather fearfully "'round the shadowy corners of the large, luxurious room.' You are not afraid that your poor brother would be angry with you? I am so close to him now, said Miss Marnie's voice in the darkness, that I know he is not. End of chapter 2